I don't want to just sit because I want to be active in something. I want to help. And I suggested, hey, why don't I act out the part of Isaac? As you are preaching, you take the part of Abraham. I'll be Isaac. I'll get on so the people can kind of see it acting out. Well, he agreed. He thought it was a great idea. I go outside of the area and I collect this bundle of uh, tree branches and firewood. I put it on my shoulder and I walk into the area where he's preaching and everyone just saw it kind of coming to life and you can hear the crowd just go, like they're Mm. seeing it. I thought, wow, this is neat. Well, just as Isaac said, Father, where's the sacrifice? And he said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And I said, okay. He says, I want you to get on the altar. Well, I bowed down just for a brief second before I did that. I figured Isaac would probably say a prayer before I got on the altar. (laughs) So I did that. And as I knelt down, I felt the Lord saying, this is exactly what I want you to do. Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript. Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and from across the Living Faith Fellowship. Now, one of my very favorite things to do on the show is to talk about missions. And so we've got, um, you know, missions pastors and and missionaries uh, coming on and and discussing uh, what God's doing in the work of missions around the world. But, But to be honest with you, I really enjoy when the missionaries are here themselves and and we can get away from the theory and and the philosophy of missions and really focus on what it looks like to be a part of the work and to choose to go to a foreign field and and what you have to give up along the way and 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 why that's so valuable and so worth it uh, to invest in the lives of people many of whom have never even heard the gospel before. And so when I get an opportunity like this, like the one we have today, I, I really, really enjoy that. And so today on our show, uh, I have the privilege of interviewing Dan Jelowick, who is a missionary to Zambia. And uh, I can't wait for you to hear his story about how he got on the field and, and how God's using him. And so with that, I want to welcome Dan. Thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you. It's really quite an honor to uh, to be able to be with you today. It's an honor for me. I mean, I've only known you really this last week I've I've become familiar with, though I've seen your face at other missions conferences and other events, but hearing you uh, share with the church about what God's doing, we we were all in agreement on the show that we need to try to get you on the show to to talk about it. And so, so thanks for being here. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Uh, Before, before we get too far into the work itself and all the wonderful things that God's doing, uh, let's just talk about how you how you got there, beginning with your salvation. We always love to hear the salvation testimony of our guests. So so could you tell us about how you came to faith and what your upbringing was like? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, I grew up in a pretty religious home. Um, we were Roman Catholics. I went to church every week. Uh, I was always going to try to be the good guy, um, mm. you know, and um, it was always about works. Mm. And uh, I went to Went to you know high school and college and got mixed up in all the things of the world. It really started dragging me away. And yet I would go to church on Sunday and felt like, well, as long as I can confess once in a while and uh, be at church, that I'd be okay with God. Mm-hmm. And uh, the world kept getting a, a stronger hold on me. Uh, I started getting mixed up into uh, drugs and started getting addicted. And uh, 
you know, there's a time when you realize you're probably just playing a game in life mm. because your your conscience just doesn't sit right with you. And uh, as things continue to get worse, I got into college. Uh, I met a, a nice girl there. And when we graduated, I kind of thought that, hey, you know what? I'm spending so much time with her. I'm, we're probably dating. And she's like, no, 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 we're not dating. You're not a Christian. And I went, wow. but I, you know, I, I am. But I could never say those words clearly. I am a Christian. It mm. always had to be, well, I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic Christian. Yeah. And um, she always just would open up the Bible and our, our times of discussions became quite intense. Mm. And I was very sure I knew what I believed. And yet she would just simply open up the scriptures, push it across to me and ask me to read that verse out loud. And wow, it just would cut me to the heart. Mm. And this just happened over and over and over and everywhere we went in, in our hometown of uh, Rochester, New York, it was always we'd run into somebody from our church. Oh, hey, there's so-and-so. Come on, come and meet them. And it, without fail, every time we went out, there was somebody from her church. And I finally got to the point. I just said, I, I'm done. I don't want to meet people from your church. <laughs> I had, I mean, at that time, I didn't know what it was. But I just probably had this conviction of being around people that had a, a genuine joy in them. Mm. And it made me feel worse. So I just mm -hmm. said, no, nah, I'm done. And there was a time uh, at the end of the summer that we, we broke it off. And I am literally driving home, calling out to God, saying, God, you got to do something. This, this is just not right. And I didn't know what it was. A week or two later, we get together uh, again, go to a, a AAA baseball game. Hmm. And we're sitting up high up in the stands and we're there early. And she goes, oh, hey, look down there. There's my youth pastor. And I just went, well, here we go again. And I said, <laughs> well, she goes, no, let's go talk to him. You're going to like him. He's really different. And I just said, no. I mean, I literally crossed my arms and said, no, I'm not going. Wow. And she walked down there and is chatting with them. And I knew, of course, they're talking about me, you know, right. oh, who'd you come with? So I'm sitting up there and a minute or two goes by and he turns around and he right. gives me a wave that literally pierced my heart. Mm. You know, I tell you, when the peace and the joy that this guy had in him in a smile, I just said, I need to know what he's got. Yeah. I agreed to meet with him. This was uh, Mike Metzger. And little did I know, he wow. was actually the chaplain to the baseball team. Mm. I agreed to meet with him, and he was the chaplain of the school, too. And his testimony was very similar to mine. He grew up Roman Catholic. He wanted to date a girl. She witnessed to him. He came to Christ. So he began to open up the doors that the scripture is the truth we need to follow. Mm. And when I just continued to look at those verses, and they worked on my heart, finally, August 1987, it's literally like a light went on. And I went, I get it. It has nothing to do with my works. It is totally the work of Jesus Christ, his gift of salvation to us. When I finally realized that and I asked Christ to forgive me and save me, I just knew whew, something had changed. Mm. My desire for alcohol, drugs, all those things were gone. And I thought they had such a strong hold on me that I would live with them forever. But I knew somehow that night things were going to be different. I just didn't know how different. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it changed everything. Yeah. Now, in, in this time, had you already settled on a profession? I mean, you went to college 
what were you doing with your life? You're back home. You know, you're thinking yeah. about this girl, you know, could I marry this girl? Like, tell us about what life was like <laughs> in your hometown there. Well, um, we met in college in Buffalo and we were both studying to be opticians, fitting mm, eyeglasses. Okay. So my goal was, I was going to move to the other side of the state, but I got a job offer in her hometown in Rochester. Mm. So when I told her, hey, I got a job and, and I'm going to move to Rochester, I thought she'd be excited. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of went, oh, <laughs> which was very deflating for me. Mm. But now she realized she has to make sure she witnesses clear to me mm. because I'm going to be around. Yeah. And that's uh, so we were opticians for almost 24 years. And um, our plans are not always God's plans. Yeah. He moves us and puts us in positions where he wants us. So, so tell us about getting married and, and starting your family. What was that like? It, it was wonderful. She's my wife, Janice. Uh, she's she's just so vivacious. She's beautiful. She's brilliant. Um, and I... I really married above, which is, which is <laughs> which means it gives me some smarts too to see that. Um, but she she grew up in Awana, so she mm-hmm. knew a lot of Bible. Uh, I mean, she knew more than I thought I could ever know. And you know, as we would talk, she would bring out things of the of the Scripture, and I just said, "Wow, God, I, I really don't know much about the Bible." Mm-hmm. Um, as time went on, you know, we got married a couple years later. We started a family. Uh, we've got five children now. Um, and just watching God put that desire in my heart that I remember looking at the Bible and looking at this huge book and going, God, I, I could never know all of this. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, Lord, if you would teach me how to understand throughout the scriptures, I just one day, when I get old, I want to be able to open up the Bible and just teach people from that. And when they have a question, I can flip it over and go to another verse and show them. Yeah, the way Janice could. Exactly. Yeah. I said, I just want to know the scripture. I want it to be part of me. So as I speak, it's just coming out. Yeah. And I thought that was, if you're going to ask God for the impossible, that's where <laughs> that, I was starting. That was a big ask. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So then how did you get training? How did you get discipled? How did you get invested in? Yeah, well, that that same... Uh, uh, associate pastor, Mike Metzger, um, he and his wife, Louise, they discipled us. Mm. So as a young couple, uh, and with our testimonies being so similar, uh, they really taught us what it meant to be a Christian couple, Mm -hmm. what it meant to be a husband and wife, what it meant to be a father and mother to children, what our responsibility was. And more than that, how to do life as a Christian. Uh, he would take me on visitation with people, whether we're visiting the sick or uh, maybe someone that's had a dispute. And little did I know, I'm watching the Christian life just be lived out in a great example. So uh, we spent a lot of time. Every Sunday evening would be at their house. Uh, we're going through the scriptures and we would just discuss things all night long. Mm. And uh, how much fun is that? <laughs> it, it was. I bet you think fondly at that time. Wow. It, it, it was a time that really molded our character, who we were as a couple and who we were as a family, because now our children are young and they're they're around two, three, four years old running around as we're doing our, our discipleship. And they really taught us not only the scriptures, but how those scriptures should be a part of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
fast forward a little bit. I mean, uh, did you do any other of, of the other formal training op- opportunities that were available to you at the church? And 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 because there's going to be a jump here in our story, and I want to prepare <laughs> people for yeah. it because the unexpected takes place. And so. What, what were you doing in order to be prepared for the moment that the calling came? I think that's intriguing for people who are listening. Yeah, it really started out just hosting Bible studies at our house. Mm. Um, and I I remember even uh, 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 Mark Brown, he's a pastor in the area here, but he was one of the first guys that were teaching a Bible study in our house. He taught me how to give my testimony of salvation. Mm. And so we always hosted studies and because certainly I wasn't able to teach at that point. We're involved in choir and you know youth group as counselors. So we're always involved in things. And the more time we spent around people like that, the more, of course, we got to know the scriptures and, and learning. And every, just about every evening, I just wanted to sit and read the scriptures. I wanted to read history. I just wanted to know everything I could about the Bible. Yeah. And as we continue to grow, we see these opportunities now, hey, Listen, can you teach a, a little five-minute devotion in the beginning of the Bible study? And so I would start preparing for these things. Um, we're leading some sports ministries. Uh, I, I was leading a, a volleyball ministry with another man for about 17 years. So I was always preparing for devotions for that week. Mm-hmm. So it started out in small, small increments. And as as a family, as a couple, we had always, we always determined we're going to do a couple things. One, we're always going to tithe no matter how hard it was. Mm-hmm. So we made that commitment before we got married. Mm. And and we struggled. And especially when you make that determination that you're going to tithe, testing will come. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> and sure. It, especially in those early years yes. when you, you're convinced that you're broke, you don't manage your money well yeah. yet. You know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think every married couple yeah. hits that moment. Yeah. And when you do, just stay with it and God shows himself faithful. And the second thing we're determined was we're going to support missions. Mm. That was, that's, we were going to work. And we since we couldn't go, I mean, certainly we weren't qualified or trained, but, but right. we knew missionaries. They were sent out from our church. Sure. So each year during our missions conference, God would burden our heart and we would say, I feel God's leading us to this family and we would support them and then another one and another. And we'd finally go, this is crazy. I mean, now we're supporting these missionaries and we seem like we're struggling, but we never struggled because God always provided for us. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I've had other missionaries on the show too. And we talked about just principles of missions and you'll often hear guys say, you know, the first burden I ever had for missions was the moment I started giving sacrificially mm-hmm. to missions. Like I hadn't really fully discovered how my heart longed to be a part of the work until I saw this brother or that sister on the mission field. And I just started giving, you know, you know, to the point where maybe it hurt a little bit, but you had stock in the game. Yeah. And that began to change the perspective and it causes people to consider whether or not they're supposed to yeah. be on the field as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, where your treasure is, there mm. will your heart be also. Exactly. And that's that's what we learned early on. Mm. So you're you're an optician, both of you are practicing. For how long were you doing that? And then what did it, what did it look like the moment that God said, hey, I've got this thing for you? Well, we are at this point, you know, we are opticians for quite a few years. I was... Uh, I was ready to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we continued to go on, I kept working up higher into management. And I became, I was a, I was a manager for, I think, over 15 years. Mm. And 
as a manager, I'm going to give myself a 110%. But that also meant that it was going to pull from somewhere. So it was pulling from my family. And it was pulling me from ministry opportunities at church because I had responsibilities at work. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I saw that happening, you know, life was was getting very difficult. and um, But I still enjoyed it. I love the challenge and I, I'm going to overcome. And I was closing the gate one night. We've got one of these electric uh, gates that closes the, uh, the store. Mm-hmm. And I remember putting the key in and I bent down. And I'm turning that. And as that gate is coming down, I felt like there was somebody behind me. It was the Lord saying, mm-hmm. are you ready now to give this up? Hmm. And I tell you, before that gate came down, I knew my answer was yes, but I didn't understand why. And I said, yes, Lord, but why are you asking me to do this? So he clearly spoke in that light, that that unaudible voice, but I knew. And I went home and prayed about it. And a day or two later, I mentioned that to my wife. And I said, I don't know what God's doing, but I think we need to resign. So after about a month or so, I went in and resigned my position. I went down just to an hourly associate. And uh, at that point, God was really testing our faith, our finances, and our fervor mm. <laughs> for him. Mm. How much do we trust him? So I knew God was doing something. I just didn't know what it was. Man, so you were making yourself ready, which is really a very hard thing to do. I mean, I think a lot of times in our life, there's these monumental um, moments where we don't know what God's doing, but he's saying, you know, do you, tr- do you trust me with this? And so the only thing you can do is say yes, and then position yourself in a way that makes you ready for whatever the next step is. And so here you are in this, this moment of waiting, you're on the precipice of something, you have no idea what it is. What did it look like um, to get your, your marching orders? Well, it interesting is, as I resigned, Uh, Many people are saying, why? At this time, so many people are looking for work and you're resigning. And I could just say, I I don't know, but I just can tell you that God has asked me to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. And this went on for a couple of years. And I was asked to go to a missions meeting one time. And it was uh, October of uh, 2004. And because we are supporting missions as a family, you know, I, I wasn't too surprised. I was asked to to be with this group. I figured there was some prayer requests or things. We got in the meeting and, and the director, you know, started it. And he says, you 10 men have been asked to pray about going to Zambia uh, next April and preach an Easter conference in 2005. And I, I sat back and just said, well, I, I can't do that. I immediately said, well, all right. I can't preach full messages like that. I've never really done that. I've mm-hmm. only done devotions, small mm-hmm. Bible studies. Two, we certainly don't have the money for that because we're just barely getting by now. And three, there's no way I can get that kind of time off from work. So I was determined that I can't go. Yeah. But I was also determined that I was going to be obedient. So I said to God, okay, I know you can do all these things, but I can't. So, Lord, I'm going to say yes. You'll close the doors. I'm obedient, and I don't have to go. So your de- <laughs> so your default was yes. So, so, like, you're in this meeting. is All of this is running through your heart and mind all in, in this, what, 45-minute yes. meeting. At the end of the meeting, you just go up and you say, hey, I would be willing to do that. But you're also at the same time thinking, well, 
I'm not going to be able to, to do that. Is that how it went? Yeah. By time the meeting ended, uh, I didn't go up to the director. I walked out and said, all right, Lord, I'm saying yes to you. Mm. And I'm going to wait for you to close the doors on any one, two, or three of those steps because surely I'm not to go. Right. I was sure. Had you ever been on a missions trip like that before? No. I had never been on any missions trip. Wow. Yeah. Through that time, God opened the door. Uh, my employers at work said, okay, we'll work around this and we'll make time for <laughs> you. And God provided the, the, the resources to go. And I found myself on that trip with these nine other guys. And I was sure they're all leaders in ministry. And I was just kind of a lay leader. So I was sure God was going to be calling several of these guys mm -hmm. to the mission field, and but certainly not me. But while I was there, I just watched, uh, I watched God doing a work, frankly, in all of their lives to my perspective, mm -hmm. but not mine. Mm -hmm. It's almost like there was a, as we taught and we preached and we did our best, we determined that, you know what, we're just to be faithful. God will give the increase. All of these other guys are having all these great reports about people getting saved and all of this. But me and, and uh, Tom Street, who I was, I was paired up with, um, we just said, you know what? God will do the work because we don't see any fruit coming from it. Hmm. Well, it came down to the Easter Sunday. We were told there's only time for one of us to preach. We just have to determine who it would be. So we agreed we would both prepare a message. We would meet together early Sunday morning and we would pray together and that God would give us the answer who was to preach. As we met, I began- How stressful is that? <laughs> it, 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 was, it was strange because you've got to put your heart into the message. I yeah. mean, here it is. It's the final message of this mm -hmm. whole week. And yet you don't know if you're going to be called upon right. to do it. So as we met and prayed, I asked- Lord God, Jehovah Jireh, you provide all things. You've got the answer. He prayed, we finished, and he says, it's clear that he's supposed to preach. And I said, okay, why? And he says, he's prepared the message on Jehovah Jireh. He provides everything we need. So I said, okay. I was resigned to that fact. As we were driving out to that Bush church, I thought, well, I don't want to just sit because I want to be active in something. I want to help. And I suggested, hey, why don't I act out the part of Isaac? As you're preaching, you take the part of Abraham. I'll be Isaac. I'll get on. So the people can kind of see it acting out. Mm -hmm. Well, he agreed. He thought it was a great idea. So we get to that point in the, in the message. I go outside of the area and I collect this bundle of uh, tree branches yeah. and firewood. I put it on my shoulder and I walk into the area where he's preaching and everyone just saw it kind of coming to life. And you can hear the crowd just go, <gasps> like they're mm. seeing it. And I thought, wow, this is neat. Well, just as as he said, uh, as Isaac said, Father, where, where's the sacrifice? And he said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And I said, okay. And he says, I want you to get on the altar. Well, I bowed down just for a brief second before I did that. I figured Isaac would probably say a prayer before it got on the altar. <laughs> yeah. So I did that. And as I, belt down, uh, as I knelt down, I felt the Lord saying, this is exactly what I want you to do. And in my mind, I'm going, wait, here we go again. Do you mean teach like this, preach like this? And yet I laid on the altar and it was a little bit more clear. 
Mm. You put yourself on the altar for me. Mm. And I walked away from that time saying, God, I don't know what you're doing. Why would you do this with me? Mm -hmm. It's almost as though he, he had to take you to Zambia. He had to take away this opportunity to preach and, and give it to another man just to put you in a situation where you were physically uh, exemplifying what real sacrifice was. It's like you went across the world just to, to picture death, m- the mortification of your flesh. Pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some people perhaps can see things a little more clearly and maybe I, I, I needed a little, a little yeah, bit more yeah, of a push to, to actually see what God was doing. So you went home with this on your heart. How, how did you begin talking about it? What was the next thing? I mean, what was Janice thinking? You know, it, it's, uh, I, I remember saying to her, honey, I feel like if you can pack up the house and bring the kids, this is what God would have us to do. Mm. Didn't know how she's going to react. And she said, well, okay, if that's what God's saying. And I thought, wait a minute, why are you so willing to do this? She didn't go through what I did, but she could see God was doing something. Mm. And she she said, I was never going to say no to God. She goes, I may not be open to the idea, but if God is in it, I'll never say no. Mm. So we watched this you know, unfolding. And it took me a few months of praying about it before I went to our pastor and told him, I believe I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm called to missions. And I know this sounds crazy. No one's going to believe it. Everyone's going to say, well, not Dan, surely not him, maybe one of the other guys. And uh, our pastor said, well, if that's true, then you're going to go to the Bible Institute. So mm. I thought, well, Lord, I'm ready to go now, Lord. And uh, our pastor, George Grace, says, you need to make sure you're prepared. Mm-hmm. And so I enrolled in the Bible Institute, going to you know class every night, working during the day, and watching God just grow our faith in, in all kind of matters. Mm-hmm. It was at that point where I said to God, if you are truly doing this, I want to know without a shadow of a doubt, Lord. And I felt like the first thing we need to do was to sell our home. Mm-hmm. that if God wanted us to go to the mission field, that we needed to unload our burdens that are holding us yeah. down. So I asked God, if you're in this, would you sell this house without us ever putting it on the market? We won't get a realtor. I want to know that this was you. This is putting the fleece out. Yeah, and, that's then a, I'll, and then I'll put it out again the next night and ask for something different. Right, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> um, a pretty serious uh, bold, and a bold request. It was. And, and I knew if God would do this, then I could be clear that he's in it. Because at this time, the market was very hard in mm. Rochester. The housing market was difficult. People weren't selling houses. I've even had some realtors, when I mentioned that idea, kind of laugh at me. Yeah, that's not yeah. a thing that happens. It's People very, don't do that. People rare. don't sell their own house yeah. unless God's in it. Yeah. Well, April of that year, somebody heard through somebody else at a garage sale that we we're considering it. And they called us and said, we'd like to come and look at the house. We're like, whoa, whoa, we're, we're, not, we're not ready. We haven't prepared anything. They said, okay, no problem. We're visionaries. We just want to see it. They came and looked at it and they gave us an offer in a couple of days. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious 
what your kids' thoughts were in this season. <laughs> like when all this is going on, these are kind of grown up conversations, but it doesn't change the fact yeah. that at the end of the day, they have to have submission in their heart too, because it's not going to work if you get down there with kids who are belligerent and frustrated um, by the fact that they're, they've been moved away. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great point. Um, our kids were now, our oldest was probably 14 mm -hmm. uh, at the time and it, kids down to, you know, three years old. So they're in all, all facets of adolescence and teenage years. And they don't really, they can't really understand what's going on. Only that God is doing something and they're going to be involved in it. Mm -hmm. And it's going to cost them some sacrifice too. Well, in one year, that particular year, we moved five different times. Oh. And, you know, each each time was uh, telling the kids, all right, you can put all your stuff in these two totes. And then the next time, all right, everything into one tote. And then it got smaller. And as we kept doing this, uh, we can see how difficult it was for the kids. But yet they almost had a little bit of a freedom in doing that. Well, now we start deputation. And our, our oldest is now in, in, uh, in college at Word of Life Bible Institute. Mm -hmm. So we leave her behind and I'm traveling with three teenage boys and a little girl and we're living in a camper. And them sacrificing those things, um, we knew was not easy, but we knew it was about building their faith also. Mm -hmm. So this was something that to our best of our ability, we just always tried to encourage them be who you are, but follow God in that. Don't try to fit into this cookie cutter kind of system that mm -hmm. we may have seen other people. I said, God's given you a personality. He's given you talents that other people don't have. Just be real and love God and follow him. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've tried that uh, to the best of our ability through those times. Man, when it was time to go, you know, after deputation, after you, you raised the funds, I, you know, I have two questions. What was moving like? What was, you know, because you're going with at this point is four kids went with you initially? Or uh, three? Three. Three went with you initially, three of your children. But then also, what was the role that was w awaiting you? I mean, um, you haven't quite expressed us yet. Like you had a heart to go back to Zambia, <laughs> but what were you going to do when you got there? Yeah. Well, uh, throughout those years, I had gone back to Zambia two other times. Mm -hmm. And the second time was to bring my wife and two oldest children who we knew would probably be in college by the time we went. But that was kind of our survey trip. And honestly, you know, survey trips, you look at everything, you ask God to show you answers, to reveal things and mm -hmm. settle things. The only thing that was settled during that trip was that he definitely wanted us to go, but everything else about that survey trip, it's like the wheels fell off the bus one at a time. And we found ourselves, we felt alone because the people that we were relying on were not there. Mm, and the networking wasn't, wasn't working. <laughs> God was networking by pulling people away from us. Mm. So we were truly relying on him. Mm. So when we, when it finally came time to go, our goal was to, we were going to work with another missionary that had been on the field there, Kevin Pesky, and we were going to partner together. We were starting a new work in the eastern province of Zambia, and we were going to just partner together. He's a great visionary. Um, I'm more of the, the helping hands, and uh, that was our goal. So when we finally went, 
We worked together for about six months. Uh, he had gone back on furlough. And so I'm left to kind of take over the ministry there. So we, I keep doing as I was taught. We're teaching. We're trying to reach out. He came back for a short time. And then that was about two years now. And we're back on furlough. Mm. So overall, we spent about a year together. And then he was called back to the States to take the pastorate mm-hmm. of our home church. So then we found ourselves alone again, but never alone because God was yeah. really there guiding it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you're raising your children at this point in Zambia. You've made the, you've made the jump. What's, what, is, what is your living situation like? Once you get settled into the role and responsibilities, what's your living situation look like? And then what are the responsibilities of your family members? How did you involve them in the work? I mean, I could see from the pictures that your daughter was heavily involved the last couple of years um, ministering and being a part. Uh, but what, what are some of the things you're doing and, and what is the church planting and, and investment work look like? Yeah, um, our, our kids each had some impact on when they're there. Our oldest uh, was about 16, 17 at the time, and he was only there for about six months, but he had a great impact on everyone because they really saw such a, a genuineness in a young man who loved God and loved people. Mm. So when he left, I actually had adult men that were crying because he was leaving. Wow. And I thought, this kid's had such, such an impact in a short time. And then my next son, who now was really kind of being left alone because his older brother was going, he struggled a lot uh, that first year or two. But I, we set some goals. I said, I need to see your faith, personal faith increase. And he got involved with um, some people in town, some young Muslim men uh, working in a shop. Mm. And he grew his faith leaps and bounds, witnessing to them and, and discussing things of scripture. And he really grew a lot. And then it comes down to um, our youngest, who is Savannah. She's been with us there the longest. So she's still in school. Uh, she's doing, you know, homeschool by herself. And then she was doing college courses online. But when we would go out to the bush, she was really just being a great example to the young ladies, uh, loving on all the children and really just showing them that they can have a part in the church. Mm. And watching God grow her faith through all of this has just been so encouraging. Wow, that's great. So tell me what God's done in the work itself. Like, how has it transformed since you first got there? What have you seen in terms of souls and discipleship and churches? Yeah, um, it's just, it's humbling. It's amazing um, that God has done such a great work. You know, we we came in and started with the one church that was planted, and we kind of helped take it over, train the the leadership in that. And through that training, any other leaders that wanted, from, even from other churches, to come and learn the scripture. And we did that for about a year or two. And what I kept seeing as I, we visited other people, that people had some papers in their home, but they weren't Bible teaching. It was from the Jehovah's Witness. Mm. And I really was burdened with that and just said, Lord, what can I do to change this. So we took all our discipleship material, we had it translated into the Chichewa language, mm-hmm. and we used our first 20 lessons 
And we taught everywhere we went, we taught this discipleship model. Over and over and over. And people took it home and then their family saw it and it just continued to spread. So we would go to evangelize a new village and people were coming out and saying, yeah, I've got the papers, I've got the teachings, I've got the Bible. Before you... Before yes, you'd even gotten there. Because it had reached there before we'd even gone. So now people are asking us to continue to come and, and plan a church there or come and speak to their church. And I'm finding out, said, well, where are you? How many are you? How long have you been meeting? And they're like, well, there's 30 of us. We've been meeting for six months. So you go, who's teaching you? Oh, one of the guys from the other churches comes out, you know, every couple of weeks. So we're finding all of these churches organically planted that now our task is to try to help disciple yeah. these in a better way and grow up godly leaders in this. So as we left in uh, September of this year, uh, 2022, actually, um, there were 10 churches that had been planted. Five of them have their own pastor and the others were training men to take those over. Mm. Over the last couple of months, the guys that are there uh, that continue to go out and evangelize. Now there's new Bible studies and there's new churches that are meeting every week. As of last uh, I heard, there's there's 15 groups meeting. Mm. So when we get back, we've got a tall task to really spend time out there teaching these guys the word of God and uh, really going through discipleship with all of them. Yeah. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is Chris Allred. Uh, my wife, Lindsay, and I are at Oakland Heights Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia, where we've been for about six years. We've served in a lot of different ministries, uh, but our main function has been to lead the middle school ministry for the past five years, up until this past August, where we've transitioned into leading our high school student ministry. Uh, we've been taking LFBI classes for a few years now, and, and they've been a, a really big blessing in our life. They've been instrumental in our training and our growth process. Proverbs 11 says that there's safety in the multitude of counselors. That's exactly what LFBI has been for us, a multitude of counselors. Uh, not only do we do we get some biblical knowledge and some doctrinal training, but we have pastors and missionaries teaching these classes uh, that have a lot of experience in ministry and are able to, to not just teach us from a book, but actually uh, pour some wisdom into our lives from their experience and, and help to, to prepare us and train us for leadership and make us into more godly leaders and ministers. And, and LFBI has been a huge blessing, and I believe it's done just that in my life uh, thus far. I've, I've got godly men helping me to become a godly man. And I'm very grateful for LFBI. It's been a huge blessing. Visit lfbi.org to learn more about Living Faith Bible Institute. And now back to the show. Train, train, train. Yes. Because there's so much prevalent uh, false teaching that's like you said, the Jehovah's Witness. The, the you know, there's forms of Pentecostalism. And, yes, and all these different things that are being spread around. <clears throat> Islam is obviously stronger and stronger. You know, the the further south you go, the safer you are in some ways. But I know that it's creeping. Yeah. Islam is creeping that direction, and it's really important that that the men that are standing in front of these small congregations can can yes. speak truth as it is plainly from the scripture. In my interview with uh, Greg Axe recently, um, you know, we had this conversation about about how um, truth kind of springs out of nowhere sometimes. You know, it seems like it seems like this pocket of people just came out of nowhere. And the truth is, that's the spirit of God. That that's yeah. even just a a little seed of God's word. What it can do, and so it's so amazing to hear you saying like we didn't even know about these people 
but they just, they got a seed, a seed was planted and now something is springing up and we've got to rush over there, you know, the way Barnabas and Paul did (laughs) and kind of make an investment because we have to make sure that that, that, that seed becomes a a, a sapling that grows straight, you know? Yeah. And so that's an amazing testimony of what God's doing in in Zambia. Yeah. One of the real, uh, I guess, encouraging things is seeing all of these, they call these branches that mm. start. And it, interesting, the the first church that was planted there, they met under a big tree because that's where the leadership meets, meets yeah. of every village. They wanted to name themselves Big Tree. So from Big Tree, we have all of these other branches that have started mm. and really taken root. And um, we, I spent a, a bit of time discipling about uh, eight, nine of these um, young men that have come across my path throughout the years. In the last couple of years, I've really been able to spend a lot of time investing in these guys. And now that I'm away, I see these guys go out and they'll visit one of these churches and they're teaching and they're preaching and they are training some of the young men and frankly, older men who who don't have that, uh, that background and watching these guys really take over a great leadership position. What a cool thing. It's amazing. Th- this is it right here. This is the reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're back. You've been here since September. You were here for, for our missions co- conference, which was a real treat to yes. have you here in Kansas City with us. Um, but, you know, you shared with us that that when you go back uh, this time, it'll be without any kids. Yes. Which is huge. That's a, yeah. that's a, a, a big thing. And so now your youngest daughter is, she's going to be in college and uh, tell us about yeah. the sacrifice involved with that and, and how, you know, how it makes the next um, tenure in your journey uh, more difficult. Yeah. It's interesting because yes, we'll be going back with just my, myself and my wife, Janice, and leaving uh, Savannah, our last one back. She's already got a, an associate's degree in business administration. So she's got a part-time job. She's working now. Mm-hmm. And seeing how she has responded over the last couple of years, whether it's been there in ministry or as we've come back here, to see how she interacts with other adults and even with pastors and their wives and the wisdom that that uh, God has given her, I'm not worried about her. Mm-hmm. She'll do fine. Um, yeah. While I will miss her terribly because, you know, she's kind of my, my right hand, you know, girl mm-hmm. there. Um, it gives... Uh, Janice and I an opportunity to be able to spend more time out in the bush where the churches are and be able to get rooted a little bit deeper into their culture. It'll give us a chance to help immerse ourselves to learn the language better. Mm. Um, So we actually see this as a time that we may be able to um, do even more than, than we had in the past. So we're not looking at this as, you know, such a, a terrible thing. It's a it's a necessary part. All our kids are involved in, in some kind of ministry wherever they are. Um, so we have the opportunity now maybe to change things and do it a little bit more. It doesn't change the fact that they, as our children, they don't have their mom and dad here. Mm-hmm. And we've got six grandchildren now. So they don't always have their grandma and grandpa around mm-hmm. anymore. They, the oldest are, they're only, you know, four, four and a half years old. 
So what they've known of us most of the time is just through video chats. Mm -hmm. So then when we actually come home in person, they start building a relationship. So while we are not physically there for our children or grandchildren all the time, we still have that relationship. And one of the, I think the greatest things that I can do for my kids and grandkids is be an example of faith and show them that Jesus Christ is worth it. We've often talked, there is no other reason in the world that can even come close to leaving your home, leaving your family, your kids, your grandkids for such extended periods of time. Nothing would even match close to that. But the fact that we would do this for Jesus Christ, it's the only thing that it can make someone do that mm -hmm. because he is worthy. Yes, absolutely. And honor just to honor his beautiful name and what he's done. And it's it's tough though, because I think a lot of people and I and I, I can even sense this, you know, I've got an eleven year old and nine year old and a three year old. And and in my life, I feel myself um, saying, "Well, they're, these are my children, you know. You and God, yeah, this is the blessing that you've given me, and I'm to steward this. And so then I become protective of what really ultimately belongs to God to begin yeah. with. And I, I can I can skew my, my perspective can get skewed, and I can assume that well, no, they're they're mine first, and they're your, they're your second. And uh, I think we all can fall prey to that." But I love the way that God moved you in ministry to begin with. It's almost like this is something that you had to reckon even with the totes. Mm -hmm. Like the, yeah. the paring down of the totes, just reminding yourself step by step by step that all of this is yours and you are you are worth these sacrifices. Yeah. It's a very beautiful thing to hear about. Yeah. When it comes down to it, we all own too much stuff. Mm -hmm. And our pastor used to say, the more things you own the more things own you. Mm -hmm. And when we can free ourselves from those kind of physical, tangible attachments and set our affection on things above, God gives us a strength and a peace and a fortitude to do what is necessary mm -hmm. to accomplish his will. Yeah, that's wonderful. So Dan, you know, um, your story has been great, but, but how can we partner with you in prayer? We've got all these listeners uh, who've just heard your story and now, you know, their heart is beating for, for the work in Zambia. What are some things that they can be praying about uh, in terms of, of what you've got in, the ne in this next stage of ministry? Oh, thank you. Um, I, I would say that our, our greatest need in prayer is that God would move his spirit to raise up godly men and women in the ministry there that would uncompromise on the truth of his word would have a passion for the word and for missions that they would continue to go out and reach their family and friends with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we become more facilitators of everything that God is doing there and that we can pour our heart into these people, but that God would raise them up as leaders. Mm. Our goal has never been to pastor churches there, but to evangelize and to disciple and train men and women that they can take over these ministries, that they can reach their children, they can reach their villages with the gospel of Christ. Yeah. And that it would spread and spread and spread. Yes. More and more seed cast. It's fertile. It, it appears 
as though it's a very, a very fertile ground. I yes. Mean, Zambia is such an interesting place because many missionaries have been there before, but anytime you hear about missionaries in Zambia, it seems like the work is so still so undone. If that makes sense. Yeah, there's still so many people to be reached, whether it's in the cities or towns, and there's thousands and thousands of millions that are out in the bush regions that are, they're unreached. Mm -hmm. um, they may know a little bit. Zambia is a very religious country. It's very spiritual, mm -hmm. but unfortunately, it's very ungodly. It's spiritual and religious in their traditional ways, but not in the gospel. So our goal is to bring this out, to set these people free of these things. We just saw a, a, a quote or somebody said that, is it safe to travel to Africa? And the answer was absolutely not. Theft is the biggest problem because once you go to Zambia, it's going to steal your heart. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's profound. When people get to experience Zambia in the just the gratitude that these people have for the life that God's given them, as hard as it is, they're grateful and it really changes us. And that's what God has done through all of this to realize it's not what we have, it's who we have mm -hmm. that's most important. Man. Dan, thank you so much. Thank you, you know, um, just as a fan of missions, uh, I want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. It's a blessing to all of us. Um, to know you and to be a part and to be challenged by, by what God's doing in your life. So thank you for hanging out with us and, and sharing your story. Well, praise the Lord. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Yeah. And we want to thank you for joining us and listening in on Dan's testimony. Be praying for him. Be praying for his family. Uh, we want to see Zambia one for Christ. And so, so even now as you're listening, uh, be prayerful uh, for, for what God is going to do in this family's life and, and how he's going to use them. Now, uh, there's a lot to consider when you hear an episode like this. Is there a calling on your life? Uh, you know, are you just like where Dan was, uh, you know, in his, he's raising up a family and, and he's got a job and, and things seem good and he, and he seems to be right where uh, the blessing is, uh, and yet God had more for him and, and there was more to consider and, and more, more to give up for his namesake. And if you're in that place, if you feel that in your heart, uh, just like uh, Dan's pastor, maybe you need to get some training. Maybe just like what was requested of him needs to be requested of you. There's, there's training to be had in order to prepare yourself uh, for both the theological, but also the ministerial work of investing in people and discipling and planting churches. And, and so we want you to consider whether or not LFBI would be a place for you to get that training alongside the work of your local church, just to supplement what you're, the training you're getting in your local church. So LFBI.org is where you want to go to check out our classes and, and, and see what we have to offer in terms of training. But we are grateful. We're grateful for every local church where the pastor is casting a vision for missions. And so if you're in one of those churches, man, make sure you're paying really close attention. Maybe begin by giving sacrificially and start there. But we love you. We're grateful for the time you've spent with us and we can't wait to be with you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. If you're interested in following the ministry in Zambia, Africa, you can do so by finding us on Facebook at Grace and Truth Zambia, Africa, and also on Instagram, Dan in Zambia. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, 
please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.